justifying abortion in the name of Jesus. Yes, that actually happened on the Virginia Senate floor last week. Then, just a couple of days after that, we had a representative make the case for legalizing assisted suicide by talking about the difficulties she is facing in her own life. But just when things seemed really dark, we had a bright spot of over 100 kids, parents, and Christian educators filling the General Assembly hallways. We're going to tell you all about it. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another Speak Up Virginia episode. Well, before we get started, Victoria, I do have to clear the air on one little matter that I got in trouble for. <laughs> Last week, I pretty much told the whole world that my husband was a Jets fan, and I got in serious trouble for that because he is not a Jets, Jets fan. He was very upset that I got his football team completely wrong. So it's, it is the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Let's just set the record straight there. All right, I feel the need to point out to you the irony of this because in the discussion we were having, you were complaining, you were hearing too much about football, that these alerts were coming on in your house. Um, yeah, from Amazon Echo. He set up an NFL alert from yeah, Amazon Echo. I, I have a it's feeling that maybe you are not listening to those alerts because I got to think no, they're from his not. football team. So they're probably <laughs> telling you about the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I mean, touche. <laughs> Um, I'm not listening to the alerts because they come in at very intrusive moments, <laughs> but clearly I should be. And maybe he did that as an educational effort. Who knows? Um, but to give myself a little credit here, it is confusing because we moved from Colorado where he was a Broncos fan and now, you know, he didn't have a, he didn't have a team. So I'm just a little confused. But I mean, to be fair, it really, I think to most of the audience, if you're not an Eagles fan, it really doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, one team is kind of the same as the other if it's not the right team, but All right. okay. Thank you for kind of covering <laughs> me there. Just, yeah. But I just need to get myself out of the doghouse with that one. So moving on, I did also want to mention something else that was happened uh, that happened recently in Virginia um, that just sort of struck me as darkly humorous. Um, and that is some of you may have seen the news that President Biden, Kamala Harris, came out here and visited Manassas where they did a huge restore row rally. Now, clearly, they are just full throttle on this elective abortion message all in because it's obvious they feel like this is going to be the thing that's going to push them over the edge. So there's not much subtlety here. No, I don't think they have any. They are all in and they think this is the winning ticket. And it's disappointing that they're coming into Virginia constantly to do this. So. But, you know, we I don't think we really need to go into all no, that they said. We kind of know what they're saying. what the yeah. deal is there. <laughs> um, but one of the rather ironic things that happened during this is that President Biden seemed to allude to the fact that Governor Yunkin is not the real governor. So we're just going to play that clip real quick. Hello, Virginia. <laughs> and the real governor, Terry McCollum. All right. So, Victoria. I mean, is he now an election denier? Can we kick him off the ballot now? I, I, do th I do think that these comments are the reason that so many Americans think there's so much um, illegitimacy to our elections. You have both parties that keep doing this on elections. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's incredibly disturbing that he 
did that. And um, I enjoyed, I don't know if you saw Delegate Freitas sort of set it straight on the House floor. He held up pictures of who was who and uh, told the Democrats in, in our legislature that, by the way, if you get any of your bills to the desk and they come home signed by this guy and he holds up Terry McCullough's picture, it's the wrong governor and they won't really mean anything. So it was kind of a cute reaction to it. And yeah. I really liked um, Governor Youngkin's uh, comment. So so he, he actually said something like, well, you know, President Biden hasn't really been able to handle the border. He hasn't really managed the economy. So I'm not surprised he doesn't know who the real governor of yeah. Virginia is. So that was cute. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things we could say about that because he doesn't look real alert in the first, you know, in the first place. I'm sorry. I, I just had to say that because when you're watching that rally, um, yeah, maybe not the best joke. No, <laughs> it's a ridiculous joke. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody had actual questions about the legitimacy of that particular election. So to have Biden throw, you know, um, yeah. doubt over that is ridiculous. All right. Well, I did want to get a little more serious here because we have some just very sobering bills going through the legislature right now. And one of those is on physician-assisted suicide. Now, we see left-wing legislators bringing this up year after year. But this year, it seems just a little more radical, a little more bizarre. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, as she mentioned, we've been able to defeat this in the past, but it's back this year. And it's a bill. It's Senate Bill 280. It's introduced by Senator Hashmi and Senators uh, Boisco. And what they've done is basically they've put this assisted suicide in front of our Senate Education Health Committee. And again, it's... um, it's a bill that involves the physician in somebody's end of life moments. And um, it's incredibly, well, we can get into the commentary on it, but what's I think really strange about it this year, or just really unfortunate, honestly, is that in their presentation of this bill, um, they have really um, kind of made um, Congresswoman Wexton the, the figurehead, the face of this. Um, this is a uh, one of our Congresswomen who is suffering from a very debilitating disease. Um, I believe they call it supranuclear palsy, which she describes as Parkinson's on steroids. So a very, very detrimental, um, just constantly diminishing physical um, health situation. And so basically what they did is they have um, introduced the bill, talking about the bill, and have actually brought a letter. They brought a letter to the committee from um, our our representative where she essentially describes her situation. And it's kind of devastating because it's very personal. It's very, it's a very tragic situation. Um, but you have Senator Boisco kind of reading this. and On behalf, she's reading it, on, on behalf, behalf of, yes, on behalf of, of the Congresswoman. U.S. Representative Jennifer Wexton. Yes, right? yes. And so anyway, maybe we should just listen to a clip of that letter. Yeah. As hard as it is for those of us with this disease, the emotional brunt is perhaps even more so borne by our loved ones. My husband Andrew and I were supposed to be getting to the good part of midlife as new empty nesters. Instead, he will be a caregiver and we are looking at costly renovations to enable me to remain in our home when I can no longer walk. Unfortunately, we are not alone There are thousands of Virginians dealing with terminal diseases, facing unthinkable challenges and choices because of these devastating health conditions. And that is why this legislation is so incredibly critical. It is a vital step towards allowing Virginians to gain the dignity and freedom and peace of mind that we deserve in the face of a tragic terminal illness like mine. Prohibiting willing physicians and their terminally ill patients and our families from working together to create an end-of-life plan that is peaceful 
humane and allows us to maintain our dignity is needlessly cruel. Well, I think at least at some level, all of us can relate to the emotion there, you know, the devastation that you would feel. You have these hopes for your life, these plans, and and that's not happening. And just that is real grief, real loss. Um, But I, I think around this, we need to understand the reality that they are proposing here when they talk about what they, I guess they call it medical aid and dying. And it's not just, you know, um, a, that you're dying and a physician is helping you make it easier and you're, you're just left in peace for that process to happen. This is forcing it to hasten it, to cause death. Tell us what you think about why people need to understand that difference. Yeah, I mean, there is a difference between um, people who choose not to go forward with um, extraordinary measures to keep themselves alive, right? Like, so people that are living off a machine, things like that. There, there, are, there are decisions that are made that way that just kind of go, no, I'm going to let this naturally happen. Versus we're asking a physician to prescribe medicine, to be a part of, to speed up the process of dying. And, you know, it's really sad because they keep using this word dignity, dignity and dying. And, and we know that is absolutely not what we're talking about. But, you know, there's dignity in human life, that God has given us a life. He gives us our first breath and it's his to call when we take our last. This idea that we want to be in constant control and it's just devastating because when you when you think about this, and I, I really appreciate a physician that testified in that hearing, he actually made the point, he just said, he just said, look, when we get to that point where someone is so hopeless and feeling that that's a failure He literally said it's a failure of the medical community and the families to come around because usually what they're expressing in that moment is actually I don't want to be a burden to my family. Mm -hmm. It's not usually fear and pain and that kind of thing when they're considering these things. And we know that from research. Yeah, that's what there's actually studies that show that. Yeah. Well, you know, this this letter being read, it reminded me of a very emotional situation that I remember when I worked at Focus on the Family. And you might remember this. Do you remember this young woman, Brittany Maynard? Um, She was in her late 20s, I think. um, And she got a terminal diagnosis of brain cancer. I think she just had a few months to live. And she did a video talking about, I'm going to choose, I don't remember her exact words, but she was going to choose this assisted suicide option. And she also became a face for that. But at the same time, there was this mother of four, Kara Tippett's, just an amazing woman. They were both amazing women, but you had two contrasts in how they were approaching this end-of-life journey. And so you had Kara Tippett, a mother of four, also suffering from a very painful form of terminal cancer. And she wrote this open letter to Brittany. And I just think so much more of this is needed, but she asked her to reconsider in a very loving way, reconsider and let God kind of direct the final moments of your life. Um, I I just I feel like it's so important for people to step out and share that that other path. Oh, I don't think there's any question that seeing someone live out gracefully a difficult situation, a suffering situation is a a really I mean, it's hard, but it's beautiful. And God's doing something in all of that. And for the family members, you know, even in that uh, in the Wexton letter, listening to her talk about her sons, her college age sons. And I just sat there and thought, um, it's just so tragic for the family when a parent would get to the point where they'd say, I'd rather die than, than, than be a part of this with you and walk this out as a family. Yeah. And so in this, you know, with Kara Tibbetts, it's just beautiful the way she had, um, I think she could express the, the good in the heart. Does that yeah. make sense? And, and, and that's she did pretty, it with joy. I and mean, she, yeah, and she expressed that very thing beautifully. I'm just going to read a few excerpts from this letter 
because I think it does provide that redemptive perspective um, perspective that we're missing on this, you know, and um, let me just read a few words here. I think we're going to flash some pictures up of Kira while I'm reading this for our YouTube viewers, but she starts out saying that she prayed for Brittany and she says, quote, my words that are on paper are coming from a place of tender love and knowing Knowing what it is to know the horizon of your days that once felt limitless now feel to be dimming. She says, here are these words from a heart full of love for you. Brittany, your life matters, your story matters, and your suffering matters. Thank you for stepping out from the privacy of your story and sharing it openly. And we see you. We see your life. So she says that, and then she goes on to say, that last kiss that last warm touch, that last breath matters, but it was never intended for us to decide when that last breath is breathed. Knowing Jesus, knowing that he understands my hard goodbye, he walks with me in my dying. My heart longs for you to know him in your dying because in his dying, he protected my living, my living beyond this place. I just thought there was that, you know, that was so beautiful. There's so much more to that letter and I can't read it all. But it was so beautifully expressed that there are those moments that we want to share together at the end with our loved ones. We want to walk through that with them together. And just um, knowing Jesus and all that, that you can have hope in that. Because I think a lot of what we hear is hopelessness, right? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the reality is this idea that we see people who are struggling with hopelessness. And yet I think there's a beautiful moment that families can come around and be a part of that. And again, to your point... We sure hope in those moments that Jesus is a big part of that, right? Like that's that's part of the beauty of all of that. And and I think there's just more that needs to be said. Just, you know, as she's t- talking about Jesus, I'm thinking spiritually, you know, you hear, um, we're, we're even having some religious communities trying to show up and make it sound like this is the compassionate thing, right? So you even mm-hmm. have, and I, I, you know, for, for Christians, um, you know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, it even talks about assisted suicide. I don't know if people think about this, but, you know, Saul in his final moments, if you remember how Saul dies, he, you know, he's wounded, his enemies are coming, he asks someone to end his life for him. And if you remember what happens later, David interfaces with that that young boy, that young mm-hmm. soldier that took Saul's life. Now they're not even, fr- they're not even, they're enemies. And David says, the blood is on you. You've just testified that you've you've taken the, the end of life of, of God's anointed one. Like mm-hmm. it is, the Bible's pretty clear, even in enemy situations, let alone situations with people that we love, that this is for God to handle, even in any moment. And so I just, um, it's just sad. And I think we also have to talk about what it does to a society. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, we do not want a society that begins to think that our value as a human being depends on our utilitarian purpose to society. Once we become useless, once we can't contribute to society, our value is gone. No, our value is given to us because we're in the image of God. And that's that's what happens. I love her saying your life matters. To the very end, it matters. So I love that, the way she framed that. We just, we do not want to get into a situation where we view people as you know, what they can contribute to the lives around us. And when they stop contributing, we stop thinking they're mm-hmm. valuable. And and so that's what happens. And asking our medical community to step into that, asking doctors who are taught, right, first, do no harm, right? That's, mm-hmm. their, that's their oath, to ask them to step into that and be a part of those decisions about when someone no longer has value, right? They're, they're having to make this diagnosis and be a part of this. That's not something we ever want to see. And then, of course, you have to get to this idea of insurance companies because we've seen that right there are states that do that is this is legal mm-hmm. and we know that insurance companies 
I mean, they're companies, they're for-profit companies. They are making decisions that it might be cheaper and easier to cover end-of-life treatments, right? Like assisted suicide yeah. help versus some of the expensive things to help people have that end-of-life experience to, to, to be able yeah. to, to, to be alive with their family for those last moments. And I think that is where you end up when you lose the sanctity of human life perspective, because, of course, they're going to look at the bottom line, you know, what's more cost efficient. And that is where it's going to go. And we had an actual example. I think that our policy guy shared in his testimony about what happened in California. I thought that was pretty compelling um, that there was an actual patient informed by her insurance company that the chemotherapy that she requested that they, you know, that wasn't an option, but this other assisted suicide was an option. It was a lot cheaper, right? I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if it was cheaper, but they offered a one a dollar twenty copay for, right. for that option. Well, this is the thing. There are human beings involved in these decisions, and human beings are not always driven by a value for human life, right? So you're asking the insurance company to stay, um, to have integrity around this and continue to give all the choices to people, even though it hurts their bottom line. The likelihood that continues to happen, we know it isn't happening in some places. You're asking the, the physicians who it is obviously going to be harder and longer for them to continue to care for this person. And you're asking them to make decisions. Is this an end of life scenario and, and make prognoses that are not always right, that are not always right. I think a lot of folks have had someone move, I mean, literally had someone hospice brought in thinking it was going to be very soon. And it's it's been a whole different scenario. And we actually had uh, somebody testified to that effect as well, that the prognosis for them was terrible. Mm -hmm. And yet it turned all the way around. And so I think we just have to recognize that's why we should leave God in, in charge yeah. on this. And these places where it's allowed, you see that there is this astronomical increase just, you know, um, within just a few years of people taking this option. I mean, you look at Canada. Canada. I mean, haven't they moved or are moving to now if you're having mental distress? I mean, they're kind of moving into that area. This, uh, this is the question. So they've had like 13,000 people euthanized in 2022, which is a 31.2% increase in over 2021, right? So they're like rapidly increasing the number of people. So this is a true concern and it represents 4% of all their deaths. So this is not a small percent of people that are headed this direction and you have to ask what are all the factors involved there? How much is the insurance involved? How much is the doctor involved? Are these really truly people? And, and how much are people making decisions thinking they're not burdening their family? It's a terrible thought because that's what yeah. family's all about, right? That's that's the call of a family. When you have that much of a percentage of your populi you know, population deciding that they want to end their life. I think that's a problem that you need to look at. Yeah, it's it's devastating. And so, um, I, I mean, I think I think we need to make a call to action on this because this bill is still alive in our General Assembly. So we want people to engage with this um, because we still have a chance to defeat this. So um, this has come through the Senate. We mentioned it's been in committee. It is moving to the Senate floor, um, you know, at the point of this recording. And probably even if you catch the, you know, our podcast a few days after this has dropped, people can still contact their senator. And so we really want people to do that. We want them to sign up for our action alerts at familyfoundation.org slash um, alerts because then they can actually go and constantly get updated yeah. on this bill. But we, yeah. we need people to engage here. Let me say that again, familyfoundation.org slash alerts. And then we also have the text to watch where you can watch when this is being debated in a committee or on the floor. Um, I know we give people information when there's some key committee members they need to contact or senators, um, you know, just the key people to contact. But if you want to have an opportunity to watch this happening for us to be able to text you when that's happening, you want to text 
TFF, as in the Family Foundation, TFF to 77222. All right, well, after that very sobering topic, we do have some good news to share that hopefully will brighten your spirits a little bit and remind you of the hope that we have. And we saw that hope in lots of kids flooding the General Assembly hallways. Tell us about that, Victoria. Yeah, I mean, we were super excited. It was the, the purpose of the day was to come down to the Capitol and have families and students and heads of schools and all attend to basically just simply ask for more freedom in our educational choices to say, look, this freedom should be available to everyone. And so, the, you know, they're just trying to get this message across that no kid, no matter what their income level is, and that's really the the, the issue is that if you, if you have enough income, you can go to a private school. You can, you know, go to the move to the right school district, whatever that is. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, the issue is the kids that might not. And so they're really just coming down here saying, like, no kid should be relegated to whatever they're assigned to because of where they happen to live because of their yeah. income level. And so um, I thought it was great. It was themed, you know, kids deserve more and they really do. Um, and so it was just kind of a way to get in front of legislators and, and push that message forward. Um, the reality is we can't leave these kids in struggling schools. The, there are so many kids in schools that are not just, we would argue, sometimes spiritually failing, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of families that want to be somewhere where their values align. But even more than that, they're academically failing. And so you've got kids that are kind of stuck and they're forced to wait around till the government fixes the school system, which... Or they graduate trying, out of the system. Or they, or they graduate out of the system or drop out, which is yeah. a reality for a lot of kids. And so they just, they just can't. They need options now. They are, you know, we're losing... You know, year after year after year, we're losing. Yes, exactly. And the government's been trying to fix it. And it's just going, it's literally going in Virginia, <clears throat> kind of the opposite direction on, on a whole. And so this yeah. is a this is a huge issue. So I'm proud to say we had, you know, like about 100 kids and parents and um, school heads of schools where there mm -hmm. are alternatives, where they are doing well with the academics. And they came down to talk to their, their legislators. So it was great. And you say, you know, the government trying to fix it. Well, obviously, they can't fix it because you can't just throw money at it over and over. You know, I, I don't know if you mentioned, did you mention that we're spending some 13000 no, on, yeah, on a ch per pupil in Virginia schools right now? Um, and we still have academic achievement test scores dropping. Yeah, this has always been the thing. Just more money, more working. money, more money, and it's not working. And, the, and even the question is, is the money even getting to the education or is it, is it stuck in the administration of the school? We've even had bills saying, like, let's at least get, like, yeah. you know, 70 cents on every dollar to the classroom, and we're not right. even getting to those. Well, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears did an awesome job at our press conference for this event. Kids deserve more press conference. That was one of the best moments of the whole day was her, you know, surrounded by all of these kids making that exact point that we're making, that it's about the kid. And so let's just hear a little bit from her. We're not about worshiping the freak field. I heard in Senate a subcommittee on education the other day that the public schools are desperately needed to be funded. You know what I didn't hear? That the children's education is in desperate need of funding. This is not about the brick belly. It is about the children. It is about the children. Yeah, she has so much passion around this, and I have so appreciated having somebody at the statewide level that is talking about this. I mean, she is out in the community talking about this, and now she's down at the General Assembly making her voice heard, and I think it's incredibly powerful. She understands that it's about the kids. A lot of times in the legislature you hear this, you know, and she made this point. They just, they're always talking about the system. They're always talking about the school. The public school system won't have enough money. The, the buildings won't have enough. There won't be, you know, and they're rarely actually talking about the education of the child, and so mm. I thought she drew 
threw that out beautifully. Um, but also, it just the whole press conference, like it was such a visual, like you couldn't miss that these are the kids that we're talking about because these were mostly high school students, you know, who are really kind of on the cusp of going out into the world, trying to get into, you know, college or whatever they might be doing. And these are kids that were saying, look, we're succeeding and we're yeah. succeeding because we are in a school that aligns with our either our values or also is educationally actually sound and, and helping us yeah. learn to read and write and do all these things. And, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but you remember the saying, it's the economy, stupid. <laughs> I mean, hello, it's the about the kids. It's, it's the, the kids, kids. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so it was great to actually hear from some of the kids, and we're just going to play a clip of one of them also at the press conference. Oh, good morning. My name is Braxton Lawrence. I'm a 14-year-old ninth grade student at Grace Christian, and uh, I'm also the recipient of the Virginia Tax Credit Scholarships. Uh, I would like you all to continue the scholarship because this is how I'm able to go to Grace Christian. Uh, I came to Grace when I was in the sixth grade in the fall of 2020 during COVID, and my parents chose to send me to send me to Grace because they didn't believe that the county was able to keep public schools open, and they didn't believe that they had the resources to. Um, Grace has really been like a eye opening to me. I feel like I can be myself. It almost feels like a second home to me. I feel very safe in there, and I don't have to worry about uh, I don't have to worry about like drug usage, bullying any fighting in the bathroom. It's just like a place where I can be myself and feel free. Everyone's very open and kind and very accepting. Um, and the classes challenge me more. I feel like I can get a better education than when I fit in public school. The classes make me use my mind more and like think, I have to put actual intelligence into my work. And uh, I wish more students could have the same opportunity as me. Well, my parents took a chance of sending me to a private school and it's been a life-changing experience. The scholarship helps keep me the scholarship helps keep me at Grace. That's why I'm asking Virginia legislators to continue the scholarship program and give more students like me an education. Thank you. So I thought it was powerful that they could hear directly from the students. I think that's important. It's not just adults talking for kids. Kids are saying this is benefiting me. So I thought that was great. And it, we got to meet with legislators. We also had a group that got to go in and sit down with the attorney general. So that was fantastic. And I think a, a neat opportunity for them. Um, and I should just mention kind of the, the, the efforts that we're making. What, are the, what is it about? So in, in some, or some aspect of it, it was around education excellence for all savings accounts. So these are ESAs is what mm -hmm. people know them as, education savings accounts. But the idea there is just that, look, the, the, the state is going to spend X amount of dollars on our education anyway. Can't we put it with the student? You know, I mean, this is in the direction of states that call it the backpack bill. But this is the mm -hmm. idea of like, it's this amount of money. Why aren't we attaching that to the kid and saying, go to where it fits for you? So that's the, the rough Which concept. Which is what Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears was saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then also the other thing we're trying to do is expand the existing educational opportunities we have for kids through the EISTC scholarship. So that's a, a long- it's like education improvement, something like that. Yes, exactly. I was just gonna say, it's a, you know, <laughs> it's an acronym for one of those long titled scholarship programs is the point. It's a tuition tax credit where people can donate to create these scholarships. They get 65 cents on every dollar that's donated. So it's tax beneficial to them. So it generates new money into the system and these kids, who it is, it is generally designed for kids who are sort of medium, medium and lower income levels can take that and put it into an education that's outside of their assigned school. And right now that program is capped. It's only 
it's only $25 million of tax credits can go for this. And so we're trying to expand. The governor put that in his budget to expand the tax credits. So anyway, that's what we were talking about down there with them. And, and it will sunset unless they vote to extend this it This is well, also so, very yeah. important. Tax credits, when you get them passed, they kind of have a window. They kind of, the General Assembly hates tax credits. Why? Because we get to keep more of our own money. That's why they hate them. So they, when they pass them, they kind of say, well, we're going to try this out for a few years. Well, you have to have it re-upped and um, so yes we are trying to tell these stories so that by the time we get to a sunset we've re-upped this so it doesn't sunset yeah all right if you missed that action day don't worry because we have another one right around the corner that we really need you at and it's mama bear day otherwise known as parental rights advocacy day that is on thursday february 15th and we are going to have these mama bears speaking up for their parental rights because we have some devastating bills going through that undermine threatened parental rights and they are going to come and do their press conference, the parents, and we need your help standing behind these moms and dads speaking up about that. So if you wanna come up and stand behind them, help them talk to their representatives on this day, register now. It's familyfoundation.org slash mama bear day. That's familyfoundation.org slash mama bear day. Well, it's that time again, time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! You know, sometimes our Inconceivable of the Week can be a little sad, and I would put this one in that ballpark, and... I'm saying that because we're going to talk about the reality that really is inconceivable that we have reached this point in this society where the abortion debate has people justifying taking the life of an innocent person in the womb in the name of the Bible, even in the name of Jesus. I don't know how we got here, but that is the reality of what's happening. Yeah, we had one of the most heartbreaking things. I mean, just to listen to it that happened um, where basically there was this atrocious speech given by Senator Williams Graves, and it was to commemorate Roe versus Wade, so the anniversary. And it started out explaining how she was a preacher's kid and that she was very familiar with Christian teaching. Uh, let's just listen to this so you can see how she concluded this speech. As a Christian woman... I know the creator of our universe gives us choices and free will. Jesus does not force himself or his will on any of us. So why should we force our will on the women of the Commonwealth of Virginia by taking away their choices? Okay, I'm just going to say, I don't know about you, but I think that's the first time, at least for me, that I've heard someone actually trying to justify the killing of innocent babies in the womb using the name of Jesus. I, I don't know that I've ever heard that before. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. And there's so many things that are so many things wrong with what she said. And I mean, I guess the heart of what she said was we're given choice that, that you know, we are creatures of free will and therefore we should make sure all choices are available. So, yeah, and I guess her logic was since. Jesus doesn't force us to do things. Um, we can't prohibit abortion. It doesn't quite add up, but I guess that's... Yeah, she was she trying to say we are not compelled by our creator to worship him. We are not robots. We are... Get right. And then she's saying that's, that's her rationale for, therefore, choices should be available. So with that rationale, I just want to explain, just take that to its logical conclusion, that means all choices should be available to all people, right? That, I mean, she is... That's, that's her point, is we need choices. Well, guess what? 
murdering somebody is a choice when they're out of the. I mean, right. it's an absurd where she t- took this there is an absurd place to take this. And um, he's pretty clear there are right choices and wrong choices. And I think we all know that the entire Christian scriptures, the entire Bible is about right and wrong choices um, and um, death being. Yeah, I, I thought a lot about this because. Yeah, there are so many choices. We could choose to become addicted. You know, we we could choose to drug, you know, do drunk driving, all of it, um, even just choosing to speak harshly to someone. We all have those choices every day. Choice doesn't equate to beneficial, um, right? Like you said, right? Well, there's the law. Moses yeah. was the, I mean, we were given the Ten Commandments. Yeah. God actually handed down Ten Commandments and said, yes, you have choices, but here's the right ones, here's the wrong yeah. ones. It's pretty clear. Yeah, because I was thinking, we our church just did a whole series in Deuteronomy. And at one point, God says he's giving them the choice between life and death. But right. it's clear they're not equal because it says between God's blessing and God's curse. And he says, I'm calling on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. So it's a serious yeah. thing that we're accountable to God for. And I mean, you got to get to the whole New Testament where he comes, Jesus comes and says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. It's clear. I mean, it, it, it couldn't be more clear that the, there are, that the, that the choice that believers are to make are, is to walk and follow <laughs> righteousness. And it's clear that life is that, is that positive choice. I, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a shame that she, I, I kind of wish if you're going to advocate for abortion just do it under the name of death don't don't try to um put a bow on it with christianity and somehow that really bothers me i really i kept thinking about this because you know i'm thinking about her talking about jesus doesn't force himself and so i was thinking about the woman at the well he goes up to her redemptively offers her living water he's not condemning her but at the end of their conversation he says go and sin no more you know it's not like you know, it's okay. It doesn't really matter what you do. What your choices yeah, are. She wait, made a lot of choices right. before no that. Deal. Yeah. And he was saying those choices you made. Remember yeah. all the, the five husbands? And the, I, I right. forget the number. I Maybe mean, he's saying, I can't remember. It was too many. It was more it than was, one. It was a lot of choices. It was a lot of choice. That's my point. She had made a lot of choices. And he was saying, there are wrong ones in what you've done. Go and make the right ones. I mean, he said it, go and sin no more. But yeah. That, yeah. And so um, it's pretty devastating when, when these things um, happen and we've I have seen this type of thing on the legislative floor before um, maybe not quite this way I feel um, like we're getting to a new level with this I, I but think maybe you've a, been there longer I so. think there's a real concerted effort uh, honestly I think there's a real concerted effort by the left to try to draw people who consider themselves Christians onto their side and so they're the people who don't know scripture well who don't know the word but who consider themselves Christian kind of can get pulled in by confusing words that sound so like Christianity. Well said, yeah. And I think there's I think it's on purpose. And they and to help them feel like it's okay and it's I'm doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah. Like if you use the word love, if you use the word choice, all these things that are yes, there are elements of obviously all of that in Christianity, but they're using they're they're making decisions yeah. about what part of Christianity are they highlighting. Yes. Yeah. Well just to kind of wrap up here, I think it's interesting that we started out talking about life matters. I mean, that just really stands out to me. The life matters whether you're at the end of it or it's a baby in the womb at the beginning of it. Tell us how you see these issues connecting in our society right now. Well, to me, the connection between abortion and end of life is the hopelessness, right? This is in both cases with abortion, you've got a woman who feels hopeless, right? And you've got a failed community Mm. and family not supporting her enough for her to feel hope. Same Mm. thing at the end of life. You've got this hopelessness 
that somebody feels around their situation. And Jesus is the answer to both, right? We know that. Um, and unfortunately, the left is um, inserting incorrect faith to try to justify hope a hopeless choice that God never intended us to make in either case. Yeah. And then on top of that, that's surrounded by a, a moral vacuum yeah. of lack of understanding that we're made in God's image. So um, that's just all coming together. Um, I hate to end on that note, Victoria. <laughs> so do you want to give people an idea of how they can act redemptively in all this? Yeah. I mean, I think it is our job um, to speak up for the vulnerable, right? That's in scripture, like speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And the unborn are those and also end of life folks who um, they're not going to be down here saying, no, my life matters, but we should be coming around them. And so I do think people need to engage with this legislature to to put in the right kinds of words. I think we do need to share our faith so people understand what Christianity is really about so they aren't swept up in this this, yeah. you know, false religion that's being put out there. And to help you be that voice for the unborn, um, for people at the end of life, to help you be that voice for parental rights, we do have these action days. So I'm just going to plug those mm -hmm. again. Mama Bear Day, February 15th, and Virginia March for Life, February 21st. Make sure you mark your calendar. We'll be talking about that more. Well, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together.